Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Welcome back for episode two of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. As I mentioned in episode one, I would like to give you a brief personal biography and hopefully explain why the topic of psychedelics is important to me. I was born and raised in a rural suburb outside of a small city in the southern United States. This was in the 1980s and 90s, long before the internet as we know it today, and so I spent most of my childhood outdoors riding bikes, hunting and fishing, climbing trees, and playing in the woods near our home. There were many children in our rural neighborhood, so there was often a hastily organized baseball or football game you could join in, or some other well-intentioned but usually troublesome and possibly life-threatening activity to participate in, such as climbing on the roof of your neighbor's barn riding poorly constructed zip lines through the trees, or climbing down into an old water well, and occasionally even finding some old porn magazines that teenagers hid under a hunting blind. Nearly my entire extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins, and most of their extended families, lived in or around that small city and attended a Baptist or Methodist church. My family faithfully attended a small Baptist church near our home. I was planted and raised in the warp and woof of small-town American Protestantism. Although my own theological views have diverged from those I was raised with, I can appreciate the sincerity of those Christians and the generous service that they provided for themselves and for the community. I attended school in a small rural public school in the county. Just to give you an idea, my graduating class consisted of about 65 people. Although this small rural town is exponentially healthier and more diverse today, 30 years ago, it fit the expected stereotype of a small, southern, blue-collar, ethnically white community. Racism was prevalent, and it was nearly impossible to avoid absorbing it to a degree and it took me years to purge those notions from my heart, mind, and language. Today, as a man in my 40s, I look back and recognize that with few exceptions, my childhood was quite idyllic, and although I did not appreciate it at the time, I am now very grateful. So having set the stage of my childhood and my cultural and religious upbringing, where does an interest in psychedelics enter this picture? As far back as I can remember, I was always painfully shy as a child and teenager. Apart from my family and close friends, I would never have intentionally engaged in conversation or activities with others, especially girls. I suppose this was the result of both nature and nurture. I was naturally quiet and reserved, and my parents never forced me, although occasionally encouraged me, to step up in social situations. I believe that's probably because they had a similar aptitude 
and did not acknowledge how significant my shyness was because my interactions with them did not portray it to the degree that it did elsewhere. And although I was shy, I did have a large group of male friends and interacted with them regularly. But it was almost impossible for me to initiate interactions with pastors, coaches, teachers, my friends' parents, strangers, and again, especially girls. By the age of 14 or 15 years old, my friends and I began to experiment with alcohol. Most weekends, we were able to save enough of our lunch money and what little spending money our parents would give us and persuade some older cousin or local ne'er-do-well to buy us some cheap beer or hard liquor. Like myself, my friends were raised in religious or at least ethically moral households, and such behavior was obviously deemed unacceptable. This frequently got us in lots of trouble. Although I know it was dangerous and unhealthy for me to begin drinking at a young age and put me in many dangerous and foolish situations in the following years, the alcohol did provide a fleeting relief from my crushing self-consciousness. Views on alcohol and drug use today appear to me, for better or worse, to be more relaxed. I grew up in the era of the D.A.R.E. drug education movement. All of you boomers and Generation Xers will no doubt remember this era quite well. Although this movement was for the most part well-intentioned, attempting to spare the lives and health of young people, it spread many objective falsehoods about drug use, and in my opinion, consequently led to its dissolution. I submit myself and my friends as an example. At the age of 16, at a party at an old oil well site, a group of teenagers gathered at the tailgate of someone's pickup when someone sparked up a joint. Although I was very hesitant for fear of the reputation consequences of participating, I already knew enough people who used cannabis to assume that much of what I had been taught about it was probably false. My friends and I had a very positive experience that evening, due to both the enjoyable effects of the cannabis and from the fact that the elders of our peer group considered us trustworthy enough to include us in their secret activity, because cannabis was far more underground in those days, and some of the people in the group that evening would have faced serious consequences had their family or coaches discovered that they were smoking the devil's lettuce. My friends and I already assumed, but were now thoroughly convinced, that our teachers, parents, pastors, and government were either completely uninformed or lying to us about drugs, and probably everything else for that matter. These were trying times for my friends and I, and especially for our concerned parents. Some of my friends irreversibly damaged their relationships with their families and practically abandoned the Christian faith. Although I strongly disagreed with my parents when they attempted to rein in my deviant behavior, I never harbored resentment towards them. I knew they loved me, and their decisions were made in my best interest. Likewise, although I entertained other religious and spiritual concepts and questioned the sincerity of many church leaders, I never found anything that resonated with me like my Christian faith. 
although at that time in my life, I was often negligent, indulgent, and sometimes self-destructive. Even in my darkest days, I felt secure in Christ's love. Enter Psychedelics One beautiful autumn afternoon, as I was approaching the age of 17, a psychedelically informed friend of mine asked me to join him on a hike along the wooded edge of his cow pasture to search for shrooms. Although growing up in the country, I often noticed a variety of fungi growing in the fields and forests. I knew nothing about safely identifying them and considered tampering with any wild mushrooms as potentially fatal. But this guy had been safely using wild psychedelic and medicinal mushrooms for some time and I trusted his judgment, at least in this regard. We found about a dozen prime specimens of Psilocybe cubensis, aka the magic mushroom. Upon returning to his kitchen, we proceeded to brew these mushrooms into a tea, to which we decided to add sugar and a packet of cherry Kool-Aid. That's right, Kool-Aid. Although many of you may cringe at the thought of this, us having no knowledge of the Jim Jones fiasco, we just reckoned this an easy way to make our psychedelic brew more palatable. And once our artificially flavored psychedelic brew was properly chilled, we quite literally drank the Kool-Aid. Although I had read and heard a few personal accounts and heard the nightmarish urban legends, except for my use of cannabis, I was completely naive to the true nature of a psychedelic experience. Honestly, I'm thankful for that because I brought no preconceived notions or expectations to the experience. The only expectations that I anticipated were the possibility of interesting and colorful visual anomalies. I cannot and will not attempt to convey in words the experience that I had that afternoon. But I will say that for better or worse, it irreversibly altered the course of my life. It gave me a whole new perspective on the spiritual and material existence that I called me. It empowered yet humbled me with an infinitely deeper sense of personal introspection, while simultaneously revealing my unity with God and the universe. I gained a compassion for myself and others that I formerly could never have imagined. And although much learning lay in the years ahead, for the first time in my life, I began to experience confidence. I recently read a quote from psychologist William Richards, author of Sacred Knowledge, Psychedelics and Religious Experiences. And this quote perfectly summarizes my own experience. Quote, My awareness was flooded with love, beauty, and peace beyond anything I had ever known or imagined to be possible. With this shift, there came a sense of inner peace, increased self-confidence, and a notable decrease in anxiety. I think I also became less inhibited, more spontaneous, and perhaps more playful and more capable of allowing relationships characterized by genuineness and intimacy to develop." End quote. 
Over the next few years, I had a number of psychedelic mushroom experiences, each of which humbled and encouraged me in their own unique way. Unfortunately, although all these experiences were safe and mostly personally positive for me, they were not all enjoyed in the appropriate set and setting. And a few of my companions on these adventures, although physically safe, had some very difficult and emotional negative experiences. The term set and setting refers to the mindset of the individuals and the environment in which the psychedelic experience takes place. It is always advised that whether psychedelics are used in a clinical or recreational capacity, the user makes thorough preparation for their safety and comfort for the entire experience. And it is also advised that such journeys are taken in the company of an experienced and knowledgeable sitter to ensure the user's safety and well-being. Although I enjoyed and believe that I greatly benefited from the use of cannabis and psychedelics, by the age of 19, I was ready to pursue a traditional Western work family life, and it didn't appear that the use of these substances was compatible with that goal. With the exceptions of coffee and alcohol, I have lived the last 20 years of my adult life largely avoiding the use of the substances and just reflecting on my previous experiences. And although during this time, my use of any psychedelic substance has been extremely rare and even then extremely minimal, I have been compelled to stay abreast of the ongoing research on the potential risks and benefits of psychedelics and under what circumstances or application these substances might or might not have in the Christian life. This is what motivated me to start this podcast. Nearly all the content currently available concerning psychedelics was either presented from perspectives that are at best dismissive of and often directly opposed to organized religion, or too overtly academic or clinical to garner the interest of the average person of faith. This idea struck me one day while listening to the irreverent mystical musings of the late psychonautic bard Terence McKenna. Terence served an important role in bringing the topic of psychedelics into the above-ground cultural conversation, but he was not shy about his contempt for his Catholic Christian upbringing or organized religion in general. I knew that if someone was going to bring this topic into the faith community, it could never be someone like him. So I began the diligent search for information on psychedelics delivered by people of faith, only to come up empty-handed. I found a few articles written by Christians that espoused the potential dangers and moral hazards of using these illegal drugs, and a few that very hesitantly granted that more research should be done on these substances but not the kind of open-minded, educational, investigative approach needed to fully understand and draw practical conclusions about the potential benefits of psychedelics for humanity and particularly for people of faith. Now here, late in the year 2020, there's an abundance of research being done awaiting approval on the potential applications of psychedelics. 
Also, a number of cities and states have or are considering the decriminalization or legalization of the possession and or use of psychedelics. It appears that as people of faith, we must at some point in the near future make our own judgment on the appropriate use of these practices and substances, and we should arrive at our conclusions from an informed and educated perspective, not with a dismissive and willfully ignorant moralistic reaction. Although I consider my own personal experiences with psychedelics to have been positive and therapeutic, that in no way implies that I would universally endorse the use of psychedelics for just anyone for a number of reasons. There is still much to be learned about these practices, and that is why we are here, to learn together, informed by the wisdom and tradition of our faith. Let's begin doing just that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Because I have never thoroughly and openly discussed my experiences with psychedelics with anyone except for a few close friends, it was particularly challenging for me to record this, knowing that I would post it for all the world to hear. My only hope in sharing this is that it will potentially establish an avenue from which my fellow Christians and people of all faiths can enter the discussion. If humanity is to reach an appropriate, well-rounded perspective on this topic, it needs the input of the faith community, people like yourself. Please join me in the next episode, when I will bring you a conversation with a fellow Christian to discuss their perspective and or use of psychedelics. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you.